Good morning again. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Judges, chapter 2. Appreciate the reading there. Out of Deuteronomy, we're going to look at that here in just a moment. I want to follow up last week's lesson out of Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, we were talking about uh, Isaac and Jacob, talking about Joseph at the end of their lives. They were all still living by faith, and they were passing the baton of faith. That's what, they were, uh, that's what we were talking about a little bit last week, and I want to follow up on that. Today, we're going to not be in Hebrews chapter 11 so much as we're going to try to follow up on the end of what I was talking about in passing that baton of faith. Genesis chapter 50, this is the life of Joseph. We talked about uh, what, he, what he told his brothers to do. He says, uh, I'm in Genesis chapter 50, verse 24. I told you to, to turn to Judges, but now I'm in chapter 50 of Genesis, so... Uh, sorry about that. We're just bouncing around. You don't have to turn there, but let me read this to you. Uh, Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. Joseph is about to die, and he's telling his brothers, promise me, say this, repeat after me, I will not leave his bones, but I will take his bones to Egypt. Swear to me. And so they did. And so Joseph died at the age of 110, and after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. So Joseph tells his brothers, I know that I'm not going to make it into the promised land, okay? But God is faithful. You see, God is going to keep his promise because that is what God does. God made a promise. He made a promise to Abraham. He made a promise to Isaac, to Jacob. And I believe that even though I haven't seen it, even though I'm not personally going to make it, God is going to keep his promise still living by faith. And so he makes them promise, swear to me on an oath that you will not leave my bones here in Egypt. And that's exactly what happened. When they moved out, they, uh, they dug up his bones and they took his bones so that he would not be left behind and his bones at least would be buried in the promised land. The reason that he did that is because he knew God was a keeper of his promises. The promise that he made all the way back to Abraham, and then Isaac, and then on to Jacob. All right, now turn to Judges, if you will, chapter 2. We're talking about passing the baton of faith to the next generation. Um, Joshua was the man that God chose to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. He, he took that baton of faith, if you will, from Moses, Moses passes that on to him, and Joseph, uh, Joshua showed incredible strength and courage in taking up that mantle. He was, a, he was a mighty man of God. He was a great man of faith, 
and uh, an inspiring leader. You remember that they chose a man from each of the 12 tribes to go in and to spy out the promised land, right, before they took it over. And so uh, the 12 spies went into Canaan's land, and they all came back with a report. You remember the story. Ten of them said, we can't take it. We can't take the promised land. There are giants in the land. The people are so big. We look like grasshoppers, grasshoppers to them. We can't take the land. But two of them, Joshua and Caleb, they said, oh, this is a good land. It's a great land. And with God's help, with God's power, the battle doesn't belong to us. The battle belongs to the Lord. We can, take, we can do this thing. We can take, Joshua was that kind of man, inspiring, a great leader of God. Joshua, uh, Judges, too many J's this morning. Judges chapter 2, let's begin in verse 6. This is an interesting passage. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land each to his own inheritance. The people served the Lord. Look at this. They served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at timnath Heres in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. Now look at this. After that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. After Joshua dies, after all those elders that outlived him died, there arose a generation, another generation, who knew neither the Lord nor what the Lord had done for Israel. It seems almost incomprehensible, or as Monica and Jenny might say, inconceivable, that after living a life of such great faith, seeing countless miracles, countless signs and wonders from God, winning so many victories, so many battles that they won, that Joshua and his generation somehow dropped the baton from one generation to the next. Seems almost incomprehensible. By God's grace, listen to this, they defeated the Amalekites, they crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Uh, they saw the walls of Jericho come tumbling down. They even saw the sun stand still. You remember that? The sun uh, stood still in the sky so that they could continue fighting and win the battle. But yet after all of these miracles that showed the power of a mighty God, the next generation, an entire generation, did not know the Lord and the work that he had done in Israel. What happened? What happened? Where was the legacy of faith that should have been passed down from, from that generation to the next? Were they so busy fighting 
feeding the foreign armies that they forgot to remind their children that the battle belonged to the Lord? Were they not intentional? We like to use that word some these days. Were they not intentional about passing on those stories to their children? It wasn't our fight. God was fighting for us. He was with us. He was fighting for us. Did they forget to pass that down? Did they not encourage their children to encounter God themselves? Maybe after all those years of war, the parents dropped their guard. Maybe they got complacent. After all, they were dwelling in cities that they had not built, and they were eating from vineyards that they did not plant. I don't know exactly what happened, but something, something must have gone terribly wrong. And it had a crippling effect on the next generation. Uh, whatever the reasons may have been, someone somewhere dropped the baton of faith. And a great big God became so small in the eyes of his people that an entire generation could not even see him. Folks, we have a huge, huge responsibility if we hand off the baton well, then we represent God as very big to the world around us and to our children. We say that God is awesome. We say that God is worthy. But if we hand it off poorly or, or, or not at all, then we represent God as, as very small and insignificant to the world around us. And all the ground that we may have taken can be so quickly lost and an, an entire generation could be left unreached. So, what do we hand off to the next generation? What is it that we're trying to hand off to the next generation? As the church, we are entrusted to pass the baton of faith from one generation to the next. The goal of the race is to become more like Christ. Some of you may have said, well, I thought heaven was our, our goal. I thought that was the goal, was to go to heaven. I don't want you to think of heaven as our goal, okay? I love to talk about heaven, and every day, every year, I realize I'm getting closer and closer uh, to heaven. Uh, but the goal of, of the race that we're in is not heaven, okay? Heaven is our guarantee. Heaven is promised to those who love God, who have been called according to his purpose. The goal of the race is for us to become more like Christ. Because in becoming more like Christ, being transformed into his image, we're going to be all that God wants us to be, and heaven is assured. I think sometimes when we think that heaven is our goal, then, then we start to put blinders on and we begin to think about, well, how can I get to heaven? And we, and we stop thinking about how can I serve? How can I uh, reach the world around me? It's just about how can I go to heaven? And what we wind up doing is spending all of our time trying to eradicate the sin in our lives. See, I thought, preacher, I thought that's what we're supposed to do, right? Get rid of all the sin, Okay, yes, that, that is part of our walk. That is what we ought to be doing. But, but in becoming more like Christ, those things naturally go by the wayside. The, the closer we walk to, to, to Christ, the, the more we become like him, the less time, the less energy we spend on the things of the world. So 
Heaven is not our goal. Heaven is our reward for becoming more like Christ. Does that make sense? The goal of the race is to become more like Christ. The baton is Christ at work in me and through me to the world. Christ in me. He's got a lot of work to do. I know Christ has a lot of work to do in me. Uh, Lord, I'm glad that my mama didn't let me name my little sister, you know? No telling what I would have said. The baton that we're passing is Christ at work in me. Now listen, sometimes I think that we think the baton is, is teaching, you know, make sure our kids know the books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, we, we can sing the song, you know. Jesus called them one by one, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. All these things that we want them to know, all those things are good. All those things are helpful. But that's not the baton that we're passing, or that's not the baton we should be passing. The baton is Christ at work in me, that my children, that the people around me can see Jesus Christ in me at work. There's an old song that um, the group Phillips Craig, and Dean used, Phillips, Craig, and Dean used to sing. It's called, Will You Love Jesus More? You, you need to go home and listen to this. The lyrics are like something like this. Will you love Jesus more when we go our different ways? When this moment is a memory, will you remember his face? When you look back and realize you sensed his love more than you did before, I pray for nothing less than for you to love Jesus more. You see, when, when you spend time with me, when I spend time with you, I, I, want, I want you to go away seeing Jesus Christ in me, not me. I mean, that's what our flesh desires, right? But, but hopefully my goal is that when, when you leave here this morning, that you're going to say, what a big God we have. What an amazing Savior we have. Will you love Jesus more? That's the baton, Christ at work in us. And the race is the process of becoming like the one I'm running toward, and that's Jesus Christ. You see, the goal of becoming more like Jesus in the end is that you get Jesus. And that's enough. That's everything. When you become more like Jesus at the end of this race, you know what you get? You get Jesus. And that is everything. Since our race is focused on Jesus and his work, I think it'd be wise for us to turn to him so we can understand what our priorities are. What's at the heart of this work that he wants us to do, to do in us and to do through us? Fortunately, we don't have to guess. We can just turn to the scriptures. There was a man, a teacher in the law. He came to Jesus and he said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And he's not thinking, you know, 10 laws. He's not thinking the 10 commandments. He's thinking 600 plus laws that they had in the scriptures, in the Hebrew scriptures, and then all the things that the rabbis taught and all of the other laws. And he comes to Jesus and he says, Teacher, Rabbi, tell me, what is the greatest? Out of all of the laws, what is the greatest? And Jesus' answer has come to be called the greatest commandment. Jesus 
replied to the man. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And he says, and the second law is just like the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's very clear then. Since Jesus says that this is the greatest commandment, that our top priority is to love God. Love God with everything we are and to love our neighbor. Love is the work of Christ. To love, that's the work. That's the work that we are to be about, both in us and through us to the world so that the world can see Christ in us. And knowing that we can be slow learners, we we were talking about that in Bible class this morning with the disciples, knowing also that we can be slow learners, I think it's fair to say that learning to love God completely with every fiber of our being is a lifelong process. It doesn't happen in a day or a week. It's a lifelong process. Christ has a lot of work to do in me, I know. We're capable of loving God only because he loved us first. His work in us is to transform us into the image of his son, to transform our ability to love him and to love our neighbor on an even deeper level than we are currently doing. That's why, that's why we never retire from the race. That's why we never retire from this race as long as we're living. You may have retired from GE or from General Motors or from any other you know, line of work, but we never retire from this race of learning to love God, to learning uh, to be tr- being transformed into the image of Jesus. Now, after his resurrection, before he ascended to heaven, Jesus made another very crystal clear statement about his priorities. We know this as the great commission. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And he says, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'll be with you always to the, even to the end of the age. We know that as the great commission to go into all the world. And it's really not about, and, and we've, we've hung up on this because of, of the translation, but literally, and I've said this to you before, Jesus is saying, as you go, as you go. He's not telling you you have to go to Africa. I'm going to Africa in the summer. Maybe there's someone here that wants to go with me. But he's not saying everybody's got to go to Africa or South America or Australia or Europe. He's saying, as you are going through life, as you are going about your day, as you're going about your work, as you're going to school, teach people, share the good news, tell them about God and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Now, here's an observation I want to make to you. The Great Commission to go to make disciples, the Great Commission is the logical outgrowth of the greatest commandment. If we love God with all that we are, then we want to enjoy him and be with him and live in his presence forever, right? Isn't that what we want? 
So if the deepest and most all-encompassing love of our life is God, then what could be more important than living in his presence every day of our lives? Both here and then ultimately in heaven with him. And then likewise, if we love our neighbors as ourselves, then we want them to know and to enjoy the same thing. We want them to know God, to enjoy him, to live in his presence both now and throughout all of eternity. True? So, the more the greatest commandment grows in our lives, the more the great commission grows in our lives. Do, do you see the link between those two things? They, they, they have to go hand in hand. If we love, then we want to disciple others, to lead others to Jesus, to teach them to follow him, to obey all that he's commanded. If we disciple, then we must love. You can't do one without the other. Every baton, every baton that God gives us, no matter what that baton is, fulfills either one or, or the other or both the greatest commandment and the great commission. The work of Christ in us fulfills either one or both of those things. And every baton that you carry has the potential to push back the kingdom of darkness and to advance the kingdom of light. You know, it's impossible to, to lay blame neatly when, when one generation fails to pass the baton to the next. You say, well, well did, the, did the first generation you know, fail to reach out and, and, and pass the baton, or did the, did the second generation just not want the baton? Did they harden their hearts, you know? Uh, somewhere, typically, it usually falls somewhere in between both of those things. Now, listen to me. I'm, I, I do want to say this this morning. I know a lot of godly people. I'm, I don't want to heap any guilt on anybody needlessly this morning. I know a lot of godly mamas and daddies who tried to train their child up in the best way they knew how. I, I've known parents who've had two, three, four children and treated them all the same, took them all to the same Bible classes, the same church, loved them, tried to instill faith in them, and all of their kids turned out great, but maybe one. Or maybe several. And you lie in bed at night and you, and you say, God, what, what did I do wrong? What could I have done differently? Now listen, we all make mistakes. Would to God that you and I could change some of the things that we've done in the past. Oh, we would, we would have said something differently. We, we would not have said something. We would have choked those words back. We, we wouldn't have gotten angry. We, we, we definitely would have done something different, differently. I, I have a, an elder friend of mine, a brother in Christ. He, he passed away a couple of years ago. He and his wife were some of the most godly people that I've ever met. They used to host um, youth gatherings in their home when I was working with the young people there in Oklahoma City. Uh, they would have us in their homes so many times and, and cook meals. Uh, all of their kids, grown children, faithful servants of God, save the oldest. 
He was living an unholy and ungodly lifestyle. Every Monday night, the preachers and the elders would gather at one of the elders' house for prayer. It was not a business meeting. We didn't talk about business or, or money or anything like that. We, we simply got together every Monday night just to pray. Pray about members of the church, pray about situations, pray about our own families. Not every Monday night, but every now and then, my dear brother would just be overwhelmed with pain and grief because of the way his son was living. And we would, we would get on our knees. We would, we would get on our knees, all these old men and me, on our knees, praying. Oh, I'm telling we would, we would, some of times we'd just lie just on our faces and pray to God for this young man, that he would change his ways, that he would come back to God. We would weep and cry together. And up to a couple of years ago when, when this friend of mine, this elder, passed away, his son had not changed, still living that same immoral lifestyle. Train a child. We, we, we read that all of our lives. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And that just heaps, heaps so much guilt upon those of us who have worked so hard to love our children, to train them in the way that we want them to go, that God would have them to go, and yet they have a choice to make. Each one of us will stand before God, not as a family, not as a church, but each one must stand before the judgment seat of Christ that he would receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So I don't want to heap any guilt upon you that is, that is unnecessary, saying that you didn't pass the baton the way you should have. That's not, that's not what I'm saying this morning. We all have made mistakes. We would all do things differently if we could roll back the hands of time. Am I right? But somehow... We've got to, to do our best to pass the baton of faith to the generation that's before us this morning. Mistakes made by one generation are often magnified in the next generation. It's been said that commitment is replaced by complacency, and then complacency gives way to compromise. Would you agree with that statement? Maybe you just need to ponder it a little bit. Commitment is replaced by complacency and then by compromise. Let's look back at our text this morning. We've had several texts this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 6. I believe this will help instruct us on what must be done to pass on our faith. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols 
on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. The first thing that we need to do is to love God passionately. The, the scripture said the commandments are to be on our hearts. They're not just written on tablets of stone, but this is supposed to be written on our hearts. Not to be, we're not to be hypocritical or to be inconsistent in our behavior. You know, young people see right through that. <laughs> you, can, you can say, you know, one thing and you do, an, do another, and young people, young children, see right through that. They, they see the inconsistencies. That's why so many, did you put the time up there because I'm running out of time? I look up and I see the time. It's telling me. I, I, I'm going to do what, what Brother Jerry Macon said yesterday at our preacher's luncheon, our, our preacher's meeting. He said he's made, a, he's made a, a New Year's resolution to stop preaching when he's finished. And he says, I'm going I'm to try to stick to that this year. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to stop preaching when I'm finished, all right? We need to love God passionately. Young people, they see through our hypocrisy. And, and we're all hypocrites at some time. We, we all are if, we, if we're just honest with ourselves. We all say one thing and do another. But oh, how we need to be consistent, consistent to love, to, to, to say we're sorry when we make mistakes. Nothing wrong with that. Tell your child, I'm sorry. Daddy made a mistake. Mama made a mistake. I'm going to try to do better. Young people see right through that. So first of all, as a leader, as a, as a mom, as a dad, as a grandfather, we need to love God passionately with everything that we have. Second, notice, we need to impress these truths practically. Impress. We are we're to apply the gospel practically, not just academically. I think way too often uh, in our lives, um, we teach one thing, but yet we don't live it. You see, that, that, that there again is that see right through it. Well, well you say one thing, but, but you don't live that same thing, Dad. And what, he's, what the text is not saying is that you need to gather your family together for, for family lectures. Get together and have family lectures every Tuesday night and say, this is what God wants you to do and this is how you're supposed to live and, and lecture your family. That's not what the text says. Notice when it says when you, when you sit and when you walk along the road or when you lie down and when you get up, what is it talking about? just referring to the routines of life, right? As you're driving down the road and you see something, use it as a teaching moment. Your child comes home and says, um, so-and-so, push so-and-so down at the playground. Stop and take a moment and teach them. Well, that's not what God wants us to do, is it? That's not how God wants us to treat people. Everything in life, when you begin to open your eyes, can become a teaching moment for your children, especially when they're little. Everything can be a teaching moment. When you wake up, when you lie down, when you're getting ready to go to bed, when you're watching TV, when you're not watching TV, when you're outside playing, when you're outside kicking a ball, everything you do, look for a teaching moment. That's what, 
That's what the scripture's telling us. Instruction in God's truth is not so much a series of lectures and classes, but rather we are to impress truths about God, showing how God relates to us daily, concrete living, how practical this stuff is. It's not just some, you know, pie in the sky, something that we're waiting for, but how this affects everything that we do, all of our decisions, how the gospel influences all of my priorities. And then thirdly, we need to give personal testimony or give testimony personally. Let's look at uh, Deuteronomy, this is 6, beginning in, in verse 20, I think. Deuteronomy 6, verse 20. In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, the decrees, and the laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Basically, what does all this stuff mean? Then you're to tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and on his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. There's that promise keeper that God is. God promised it, and he's going to do it. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey, look at that. If we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. This tells us that we are to link the doctrines of the faith to God's saving action in our own lives. I think, I just think far too often our, our children don't see how this is practical to us. It, it's something we, we talk about at church. It's something we, we go to church to do. But it's not Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday stuff. It's Sunday only stuff. It cannot be. It cannot be. We, we've got to to personally testify about the difference that God has made in our own lives. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Listen to me, children. I was blind, but now I can see. And this is what God has done. God had brought me. He didn't bring me out of Egypt, but God brought me out of slavery. I was a slave to my own sin, but God rescued me from that. And now, this is how I live. You remember, you remember our, our class on four fields? We have the cross and we say, before, before Christ, I was this, I was angry, I was, I was a, a man with a terrible temper, I had all kind of sin in my life, but someone, someone told me about Jesus Christ and I gave my life to him. I was buried with him in baptism. All my sins were washed away. And now, and now, I've got peace. I've got a hope. God is transforming me into the image of his one and only son. Christ is at work in me. 
and that changes the way I speak, the things I think about, the things I watch on TV, the places I go, the things I do. All of that affects my daily living, and that's what you share with your children. That's what you say to your grandchildren, to know that this is not just a, a, a churchy thing, but this is life, life in Christ. It may be the hardest thing to do, but we've got to be open about our own struggles, transparent about how repentance works in our lives. We've got to be transparent to our children, to our grandchildren. And that doesn't mean you tell them every little detail, okay? Look at me. You don't tell them every little detail about every little thing you did. But it does mean being open, being honest, being truthful. A lot of Christians rely on institutions and formal instructions to pass on the faith. If I, if I just take my kid to Bible class, if I enroll them in VBS every, sun, uh, every summer, then, then they'll get it. And, and that's how I'm, I'm passing the baton on. That is, not, that is not what we're doing. That's not what we need to do. That's all part of it. But you, the parent, are still the single most influential person in the life of your child. Did you know that? We, oh, we lament the fact of, of social media and TikTok and Instagram and all of the things that our kids view and watch, some of them in church. We lament all of that. And we think, oh, woe is me. Mom and Dad, you are still the single largest influence on your children. We've got to use it for good. We've got to help each other pass the baton this year to the next generation. If we don't, if we don't pass it well or if we don't pass it at all, it'll only take a single generation for the church to disappear. You ever thought about that? We won't just have a different church. We just won't have church at all if we're not passing the baton well to the next generation. Let's bow and let's ask God to help us. Father, we love you and we want to love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and even all of our strength. And Father, we just confess to you right now I confess to you, Father, I've made so many mistakes. I have fallen so short of, of being the man that you would have me to be, an example to my children, to others around me. Father, I'm sorry, and I, I just ask for your forgiveness. I'm sure many others in this room can say the same, and I know, Father, there are hearts that are breaking even this morning as we're talking about these things because we have children, we have grown children who are not in the faith. Father, would you, from this moment forward, help us to be all that we can be, to be consistent in our behavior, in our language, in our actions, so that maybe we could influence, maybe we could bring back those who have 
who've walked away from the faith, who've, who've, who've left the faith. Father, maybe this year we could see some, some fences mended, some hearts mended, some relationships mended. Father, would you help us as we submit to you and confess? Would you help us to mend those relationships, to bring some children home back into the fold? Father, we would give you all give you all the glory if you'd help us. We love you. We want to see many, many more come to Christ. And we want to start with our own families, our children, and our grandchildren. Father, I know that that's what you want, so we're, we want to pray in the center of your will, and we know that we can ask you anything if we are praying in your will and you'll, you'll hear us, grant it to us, Father. We pray in the name of Jesus.